we have no obligation to follow laws that we do not have the ability to change. The average person does not, I think, feel empowered to change anything. Nor do I think most people even feel the desire to change anything. But mostly it's just either, you know, blind outrage about nothing. I disagree. How are you today, Joseph? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I I, uh, am... (laughs) I I broke down some boxes. Oh, good. Good, good. Like like a lot of boxes. You know, we moved uh, recently. And uh, it, it was necessary to to break down some boxes because there's a lot of boxes. Yeah, and what do you do with all those boxes? Do you life. throw them all out? No, I put them in the recycling. But I, I only put you know some of them in the recycling because some of them were saving because they were still in good shape and could be broken down and saved or are of particular sizes uh, that we would want to ship like a sensitive thing in the same box. For example, hypothetically, a sewing machine. Just you know, in case. You, yeah, just in case. You may not be uh, necessarily living in the same apartment, um, you know, for an extended period of time. No, I mean, this is, this is, this is the, <laughs> oh boy, um, it's been, let's say, in the past five years, I have lived in, two... Not this is my ninth place in the past five years. What? That's a lot of places to move. Yeah, I've moved a lot. You know, I I, I did some uh, box collapsing myself. I, I you know, uh, is that a euphemism? Huh. <laughs> no, I mean it could be. Use your imagination. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I flattened some boxes uh, <laughs> as well <laughs> in my day, and. Uh, yeah, I mean the the reason is not because I plan on moving at all, but I find I find a box and I'm like, you know, this is a you're good taking box up too much wanna, space. <laughs> this like this box is too voluminous, but I want to retain this good box. This is high quality cardboard made from the pulp of my enemies. Made from the pulp of my enemies. It's okay, a trees. very rare form of tree, the my enemy tree. <laughs> uh, my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I did the same thing, but I collapsed them and shoved them in a corner of my basement. Uh, yeah. One of them is like a nice little catch tray for when I change oil or, you know, clean my bike chain, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, all of which can be euphemisms. I mean, what is life but uh, uh, death, taxes, and euphemisms? Death, taxes, and euphemisms. Title taken. <laughs> yeah, I don't have nearly as uh, extensive a use for boxes as you do. I, I send packages for work from time to time, so... It helps to retain boxes for that packaging you, materials. Are you are you charging the corporation storage fees for that? Um, I think my storage fee is part of my salary, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, so storage wise, I, I mean, when I was initially hired, um, do you feel do you boss, feel properly compensated? Yeah, the exactly. question. I, I feel perfectly compensated for the storage oh. space because yeah, I mean, he asked my boss perfectly. asked when I was first hired, like, do you have room to store like a pallet of stuff? And I was like, yeah. I'm not super worried about it. It's a basement. It's got some shit in it. It's fine. Yeah, you've got a basement. That's, you know. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. You know, and you're, you know, you, you own that property. It's 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 on you to, to use it to 
further your ability to support yourself, right? Well, isn't exactly. That the whole, it's part isn't of the, that the whole part of the thing, you know? It's the, it's the whole premise behind the state protection of personal property and real property. It's it's that you promise to make that property useful for society. I mean, I guess that's kind of the larger social contract, yeah. Like I mean that's I, I mean that's the justification behind the like having the a theft of the theft of land from Native Americans. It's that they weren't cultivating the land as uh, as we civilized folk do. So it's fair game for us to put up fences and to release on this fertile ground beasts of meat and cheese that will rip through all of the balanced ecosystems available for the commercial gain of um, those selling that meat. <laughs> <laughs> selling that meat. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that um, there's there are a lot of different justifications that uh, original colonists had for taking land from Native Americans, um, right. not least of right. which I think was, I want it. <laughs> so yeah um, that's but, part of it I'm but talking... i think the governance of it is you know maybe you know uh, on paper uh justification at the time is you know xenophobic as it was then it was legitimate justification as well then for like widely considered. right i'm not calling it legitimate but that's what they considered legitimate at the time was well we can't tax the land if it's not privately owned by individuals so or worked, right? Like, if, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. or it's we not productive keep, in some way. Yeah, I mean, the can't. thing is that it's it's productive if somebody who owns the land by some means makes an income and thus can pay taxes. And at the time, was probably mostly from, um, you know, cultivating it uh, and you know, owning slaves to cultivate it for you, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was the justification for for it. But I mean, in my case, uh, I happen to own the land. Well, I don't really. Uh, but well, you you know you you know, you own the you own the land, but owe a debt that is secured by the ability to forcibly take the land from you. Yeah, and forcibly can just be you know a judge says so, but that's you know in yeah. a functioning state as opposed to a failed state, mm-hmm. which we'll come back to. Yes, maybe. we'll get back to that. But yeah, so um, if I weren't you know quote unquote productive as society deems. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to be making my mortgage payments, and thus I would be forcibly removed from my house. Mm. Potentially, well, physically, rent. eventually, eventually, if I eventually. don't leave, the police will come and take me out. Yeah, I um, mean that's that's the I. That's but the there are a lot of steps that, there you know, you know, they they we most of the time don't have to use violence because we've got clear indications of when violence will come Mm -hmm. so are you saying that uh the threat of violence sometimes is enough and maybe necessary in order to affect change in other people i I mean i I i'm not trying to i'm I'm with you saying no no no, no. i'm with uh, you i'm with uh, you up until the word change like influence uh, like because I've had this argument with uh, with a number of people about uh, protests and how people just are a balk at protests that go violent. And I don't condone violence. I'm not saying that. But the fact that a group of people could become violent is what makes a protest... Powerful. Powerful, right? Like, uh, again, 
not condoning yeah, violence. Yeah, it, Let me it's, put that out it's, there. But the fact yeah, that like, you, a protest yeah, doesn't mean anything if no one's afraid that a giant group of people is going to fuck shit up, right? Yeah, it, so. yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't really mean anything unless, like, you have the potential to, you know, tear down the systems against which you are expressing grievance. Mm-hmm. And that is sacred, like to to use a word that is, you know, explicitly excluded from founding documents within this country. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, self-evident is the replacement, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, it's that these these it's it's self-evident that you need to be able to replace the system that allocates resources if it has been turned into a system that explicitly excludes this and ignores the suffering of enough people that can band together and tear it down. We are talking about no entity in particular, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, these are just. I mean, well, we're talking about really. We're talking well, yeah. about the preamble to the Massachusetts State Constitution penned by John Adams. That's exactly what we're talking about, Joe. Like you, you just like pop into it and like. Hang on. Allow me to. Should we talk about why we're talking about Massachusetts? Because we'll, this we'll is... get there. We'll get there. Yeah. But first, we want to say we. I, I might just take a stab at reading the preamble. Um, Massachusetts Constitution. <clears throat> this is on a website. Malegislature. dot gov. Because Mass, because Mass, no Mass has M A are the initials, so it's ah. it's it's very official. It is literally the website for the legislature of the Massachusetts state government, but it also <laughs> reads Malegislature. Tip of the fedora. Okay, so the, the preamble, en- <clears throat> the preamble to the Massachusetts Constitution. The end of the institution, maintenance, and administration of government is to secure the existence of the body politic, to protect it, and to furnish the individuals who compose it with the power of enjoying in safety and tranquility their natural rights and the blessings of life. And whenever these great objects are not obtained, the people have a right to alter the government and to take measures necessary for their safety, prosperity, and happiness." The body politic is formed by a voluntary association of individuals. It is a social compact by which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people, that all shall be governed by certain laws for the common good. It is the duty of the people, therefore, in framing a constitution of government to provide for an equitable mode of making laws, as well as for an impartial interpretation and a faithful execution of them, that every man may, at all times, find his security in them. We, therefore, 
the people of Massachusetts, acknowledging with grateful hearts the goodness of the great legislator of the universe in affording us, in the course of his providence, an opportunity, deliberately and peaceably, without fraud, violence, or surprise, of entering into an original, explicit, and solemn compact with each other, and of forming a new constitution of civil government for ourselves and posterity, and devoutly imploring his direction in so interesting a design, do agree upon, ordain, and establish the following declaration of rights and frame of government as the constitution of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, in the link that you sent me about that, um, Massachusetts Constitution was the first of its kind. Seventeen eighty. It, it's 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 not necessarily the first of its kind because that's kind of a really nebulous. So World's oldest functioning written constitution. So, like, whatever that means. Um, it basically just means that it predates the United States Constitution. Yeah, so, by about seven years for drafting years, and yeah. nine years for efficacy, minus the Bill of Rights, minus which was the Bill added of Rights, in ninety-one. What until ninety one? Well, ratified in eighty nine, enforced in ninety one, but only enforced against the federal government, not the states, not the which states. is yeah. relevant to the topic in in quite a a way that I am somewhat doubtful we will fully connect with. Yeah, in this <laughs> discussion. Yeah, there's um, a lot between here and there. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, so I thought that was interesting in that. Um, John Adams. John Adams. <laughs> Vice president. Not at the time, obviously, because that position didn't exist until the Constitution, after which this uh, 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 the Constitution that was modeled after the Massachusetts Constitution, because John Adams was also a Federalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, <laughs> to 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 spell out the allusion to Hamilton, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Hamilton and John Adams were Federalists, and so a lot of this this framing was there. And you know, obviously, we're in Rhode Island, so Massachusetts and Rhode Island have a, a long and storied history between the uh, <laughs> between the the uh, <laughs> governance of the. <laughs> wonderful ocean resources mm-hmm. that we find along Narragansett Bay and and uh, uh, Island and all of the um, areas Bay. around here. Yeah, it's Massachusetts. Bay. I mean, it was Massachusetts, Massachusetts Bay, Bay Colony, right? Like, yeah. it, you know, it's it's uh, it's about the bay. It's all about it's that all bay. All about the bay. They're bay staters. Bay staters. That's really literally their name. Mm. So, um... Yeah, basically, yes. This this was four years following the Declaration of Independence. This was adopted as as the. Uh, um, uh, I'd be interested to know how many the, other states drafted their or ratified their own constitutions before the federal government did. Um, I I bet. I bet a few. None. You don't think any. No, I don't think so. Um, a list of state constitutions. Uh, 
State Constitution, list of constitutions. Um, what does the number mean? Why is it? I don't understand. Oh, the number. So that's the number, like when the Constitution was adopted. So Alabama, it is on its sixth Constitution, and it was it took effect in 1901. So that one's probably pretty interesting. Um, huh. But let's see. I will date of effect. Okay, so New Hampshire also predated Massachusetts. Um, 1784. Sorry, um, the federal government. Yeah. 1784. Everything else. Um, the following is Vermont, then Maine, then Rhode Island, and Providence plantations in 1843. Though there was a constitutional convention in 86, 1986. I believe. Anyways, I was <laughs> deep in the weeds. Um, uh, 1984, Constitutional Convention, and then it was convened in 86. Um, basically, they uh, added uh, explicit language that says the Constitution does not create a right to abortion because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly why it was very important for us to call a motherfucking <laughs> constitutional convention. Who? <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm sure they did made a bunch of other changes, cleaned up the language, really uh, updated it from the because it was still heavily made sure modeled. That you could not get an abortion. Yeah, it was still heavily modeled after the royal charter because a lot of those types of protections that ended up in the Bill of Rights, both in the Massachusetts Constitution, the Declaration of Rights there, and the Bill of Rights following the United States Constitution, like a lot of those freedoms were already explicitly protected in Rhode Island's Royal Charter. Um, you know, I think a lot yeah. of the reason being Roger Williams' commitment to a, a civil society that was divorced from the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So constitutional convention can be called. Okay. So, uh, the, you know, maybe, uh, I missed this class in, uh, us history back in high school, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I was surprised. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely took us history, but well, no, but I mean to say like, that's not, did you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking um, about just Rhode Island. Cause I'm about to ask a question about constitutional conventions in general. Okay. Uh, or make a statement that I didn't necessarily know about before. So uh, I did not realize that a constitutional convention is a separate, like, it's not, it wasn't intended that, you know, uh, the people that are already in Congress are to write that new constitution or be the authors of amending it. Oh, no. A constitutional convention. That's like the whole point, And I did not realize that. Yeah. Which is cool. Like the idea, because uh, there was that whole paragraph in this particular article um, talking about, um, how that was like a really explicit part of even the Massachusetts constitution to, um, and that John Adams himself in writing it had like kind of invented the idea of a constitutional convention, which, you know, all this, uh, the regions, whether it's States or, you know, in Massachusetts case, the townships or whatever, um, elect officials to go and rewrite the constitution or mm -hmm. in this case, I think, write it. And right. they elected yeah. to choose what John Adams, uh, Samuel Adams and um, some other guy to be on the uh, 
I was chosen for the Constitutional Convention. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were chosen to basically be the, the committee to write it, and they elected that John Adams should draft it, which he did, yada yada. Here we have Massachusetts Constitution that was then um, voted for during the convention. Which, yeah, which, uh, you know, that's just a... Uh, I didn't realize that that was the... Um, the like exactly what happens and even what happens after the fact, like you were talking about what 1986 Rhode Island had a constitutional convention and you know, um, yeah, it's almost, it's imperative that that is divorced from the, the current political power. Yeah. Yeah, The political power that is, I mean, it's not critical. Like, I mean, it kind a, of like is. A, a constitutional convention. Yes, when you get to the point where you're calling that, like, that's obviously a different. There's two routes to propose amendments. That's how you change to, the government, right? Like, yeah. this is like you know the you know the whole idea of like being able to peacefully like change a government. Like, that's how you do it. Yeah, and uh, the but idea... what I'm curious about is like who who elects to do that? Like, how do you make that happen with the like without necessarily do you need the approval of those that are already in power? And are there rules anywhere that explicitly prohibit people that are already in elected office to be elected to the Constitutional Convention? Um, I don't think that there are explicit rules that um, forbid those to who are in power from um, being participating in a Constitutional Convention. I'm not positive about this, but also... Um, that it would be maybe a Hatch Act violation if they were to use their position of power to get elected to the Constitutional Convention. Um, How, who's but then, like, that? who can enforce that? Because, like, the Hatch Act is enacted under the current Congress. It really depends on, well, you know, what changes are made in the Constitution and how those are then, you know, enforced by the executive or interpreted by the judicial branch. Or, but, it, you know, if we're abolishing those things entirely, like, you know, who gets to pick how we do that? Uh, the people who can most feasibly threaten violence. <laughs> Yeah, that, well, yeah, I mean, maybe I was leading toward that, but, like, I'm just f- trying to figure out, like, at what at what stage along this whole process does, um, yeah, like, does a, does a person who's not already the president of the United States, like, really affect change? Because I think that a lot of people in, you know, in this time frame and, you know, maybe particularly in our sort of age group can start to feel like a little hopeless to being able to change things for the better for more people. I know that I feel like, you know, anytime that there's some amount of hope that somebody different for the better, like not just different in the Trump sense, but like different in my view for the better, it just feels, it feels like it's always like hits a brick wall and it's hopeless. And like, who's going to, who's going to change things if the people that are in power just by being in power, give themselves more power and uh, around and around it goes, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, that's and the... so it's yeah. So where's the where's the entry point on there to influence that change? I mean, without having I don't to know. threaten explicit violence, right? I like, mean, I don't I, honestly think like that that's you like a good thing. I mean, I think civil disobedience is is a good, maybe good. I don't know. Hard to say. <laughs> These are hard words, um, but you know, nonviolent explicit purposeful 
disobedience to laws, curfews, you know, expressions of 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 violent force by the state. I, I don't know. Like, how do you create pressure? Like, right now we're going through an election like tonight, very like in four hours and six minutes or so. It will begin Trump's speech to accept the nomination to be the, oh, is this the last official today? standard bearer for the Republican Party for president in the year 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are hitting hard on a law and order yeah. message that says, look at all these this footage of... Look at Biden's America. Look at these look groups at, of Joe Biden voters. <laughs> being violent in the street. We all know they're voting for Joe Biden. Do you want these people in control of your country? And that is a terrifying message to win on. Yeah. We have no obligation to follow laws that we do not have the ability to change. That's the idea. That's the social compact. That's the, you owe allegiance to these laws because you are a part of the community that can debate, develop, and consent to these laws. But if you've been explicitly or implicitly excluded from the ability to meaningfully determine the system of laws, what obligation are you under to follow them? Yeah. I mean, that's like you read something like, you know, something in the words of one of these founding fathers, like John Adams or Alexander Hamilton. And it's like, they were just so, on it it just seems like i mean obviously there were way less people and way more of the people that were here were uh you know way i I believe maybe like a higher percentage of the probably just the elite but a higher percentage of people were involved in actually forming the governments that were being formed here during and after the revolution right um so when you hear them talking they feel so empowered like Uh, to create a government that is for the people and a government of what did it, what did he say? Uh, A government of, uh, of laws, not individuals or something like that. So it's not like a government of people. It's a government of the laws that the people then, you know, follow and um, agree, uh, uh, agree to. Right. Yeah. So, it's it's just so so disconnected at this point uh the average person does not i think feel empowered to change anything nor do i think most people even feel the desire to change anything but mostly it's just either I you know blind I think... outrage about nothing you know <sighs> without actual participation in the system it's just like sharing you know 
images of Hillary Clinton on Facebook with like bars photoshopped in front of her, you know, like that's not participation in our government. That's the, just like, that's nothing, you know? So like actual participation is just, uh, by, by the public and by the, uh, I keep saying proletariat, but I'm going to sound more and more like a commie if I keep saying that. So, um, <laughs> but like <laughs> average person is not, Make up your own word. Like that's, the, that's the <laughs> trick is you just make up your own word. And then when anybody's yeah, like, you're this, you're about. like, that's not even a thing. I made that word up. <laughs> that's my word. You can't, you can't say it means something else. I made it up. I, I made that word. I, I, I get to say what it means. <laughs> Cellular injection. Like, <laughs> Cellular yeah. injection. I'm yeah. pretty sure that actually is a, a, a medical term, Joe. I don't think you yeah, can use I that mean, for uh, broadband, like fucking, you know, Amber Alerts or whatever. I mean, <laughs> you, he, I totally can. You know, words can have context, man. <laughs> it had no context in this particular conversation. <laughs> Anybody listening would have been like, a cellular injection. I got one of those. What What do you mean? Like, I, I got one of those in my last checkup. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well. That's another term for uh, it's. Isn't that what they use do with Botox, Joe? Yeah, yeah. You inject. I mean, any injection is a cellular injection, kind of, because you are made up of cells. You're made up of cells. Yeah, that's. The well, point. I wonder, like, if there's. Well, yeah, because there's different terms for types of injections, but all of them are probably cellular. It's like a square rectangle situation. Right. Like. Yeah. I mean, there's muscle tissue. Well, like, like, the, yeah. I mean, it's it's meant to interact. Like, the 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 drugs have no effect on you unless they find their way into cells, or I guess they could interact with the lipid bilayer. But you know, well, I mean, that's cells too. It's all the same, right? It's yeah, it's, no, it's, 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 it's yeah. All of them injections are injections work on the cellular level because everything works on the cellular level because we're made up of cells. Hmm. Everything works on the atomic. Everything works on the quantum level, Joseph. Insert Geiger counter sound. Quirks. Anywho, um, yeah. Commonwealth v. Burns uh, <laughs> is a case um, out of Massachusetts. Um, it was decided in 1893 by the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Um, just as a little bit of background for the type of episode that this is going to be, uh, we, I, you know, the the organization um, picked up a, a case book, uh, um, uh, Massachusetts Reports, Volume 158, Mass uh, 172 is the page, um, and, uh, this is a random case that I opened to, and I'm just going to quickly, um, read the opinion cause it's actually, it's quite short. It's about two, two pages plus of, uh, you know, case book or, you know, case reporter text. So, um, here we go. The defendant had for sale in his provision store oleomargarine colored in imitation of yellow butter. It was in a closed and covered refrigerator and could not be seen by customers, but there was in the store a sign to the effect that oleomargarine was sold there. Upon the occasion to which the complaint relates, none of the substance was sold or produced to view except that a sample was taken from the refrigerator by an agent of an official inspector. 
The case turns upon the meaning of the words exposed for sale in the statute under which the complaint was drron statute eighteen ninety one c dot fifty eight section one I'm not sure what the c dot fifty eight means but chapter fifty eight chapter fifty eight probably yeah that's the no, one. that is because later in the thing uh, maybe it's not yeah. this document but in the other document it, it said chapter and yeah that makes sense yeah. state laws are often in that in that way um Chapter 58, Section 1. The purpose of the statute is to prevent deception in the manufacture and sale of imitation butter, and the statute provides that no person shall render or manufacture, sell, offer for sale, expose for sale, or have in his possession with intent to sell certain articles. (laughs) The phrase to be construed is perhaps susceptible of more than one meaning. Um, That's uh, that right there, uh, key word for... Uh, judges when they're about to make shit up. Um, Which one was that? The phrase to be construed is perhaps susceptible of more than one meaning. Is perhaps. So it means... Yeah. That means we're about to make... Yeah. yeah, (laughs) We're going to make some shit up. Okay? Um, Whenever goods are placed... That's all law is anyway, Joe. We hold these truths to be (laughs) self-evident. Whenever goods are placed for convenient delivery upon expected sales, they are put out and in one sense exposed for sale, whether visible to customers or not. But in our opinion, the words are not so used in the statute under consideration. The prohibited articles are designed and adapted to deceive the eye, and because their appearance is likely to induce those who see see them to buy them as the genuine butter of which they are in imitation, there is special reason for prohibiting their exposure to view. The language is so full that it is not necessary to give it a strained construction in order to make the statute effective. Offering to sell and having in possession with intent to sell are likewise prohibited in the same clause and under the same penalty, so that it is easy for the pleader to select language which describes the offense with reasonable accuracy. Similar words are used in the statutes relating to milk and to intoxicating liquors, but as in such cases, the charge of exposing for sale is uniformly joined with that of illegal keeping, and as such a complaint charges but one offense and is supported by proof of either act, it has not been necessary for this court to construe the phrase. Some of the decisions, however, intimate more or less clearly that in the statutes concerning liquors, it means exposed to view. Under English statute, it has been held that margarine kept for sale upon the counter of a shop, but behind a screen hiding it from the view of customers is not exposed for sale, and that parcels of margarine placed upon a counter or shelf in view of customers are exposed for sale, although so wrapped in paper that the margarine cannot be seen. Whether, if the defendant had so kept the prohibited article in closed tubs or in paper that the packages were visible as articles of merchandise on sale in his store, although the oleo margin itself could not be seen, he, that he would thereby have exposed it for sale, we do not decide. The contention that the article was not prohibited because it was an imitation of artificially colored butter, as well as of genuine butter at its best, needs no consideration. It was immaterial that the sample was obtained without legal authority and by a trespass, if such was the case, which we have no occasion to consider. Verdict set aside. So, I bet all you fine listeners out there listened to the front to half of this conversation and thought we were going to have a profound conversation about the ratifying of constitutions, the forming of our country, how we, how the electorate actually makes decisions. 
Really, we just want to talk about butter and fake yeah, butter. Fake butter and how <laughs> how really the greatest evil that has ever been done is coloring by, margarine by, to look like butter. How dare they? Is to sell an honest, hardworking American a package of vegetable oil that you have salted, oiled, I mean, well, you oiled oil? (laughs) You know, you oil oil. You put oils in the oils and you get the oils. And you put salt Um, and and yellow coloring to make it look like it's butter. Emulsified with sour milk and sold This is the most bizarre thing. Like, so the problem here is, is the color, right? Like that's it's the coloring. It's the fact that it's so, which is just so silly. Like, uh, I mean, we well, can talk about it's the to other solve a good. Like well, you're trying right? to, you know, you're trying to protect the honest, hardworking American, Massachusettsan, uh, what's Ma- Massachusetts base dater, um, from the uh, hawkish merchants who are trying to pass off their inferior product for. The, for actual the, butter, for actual butter, the true the, so that, the that was of the other hardworking the Americans who own dairy this farms. Person, so they don't care that how the sample was found. They don't care about the um, definition of quote unquote exposed for sale because they're saying well, they that, care explicitly about exposed for sale, but they don't consider whether. So they're like, like we don't so care whether on, the person off, whether let's, was let's found. read the let's read the statute. Okay. Um, I think I actually might have. I don't have the statute. No, I didn't. I didn't. General laws. Um, actually, I think it comes up in the other case. So let's. The um, why don't we co- talk about that real quick? Coffee Similar Rich thing, Inc. versus Commissioner cream. of Public Health. <laughs> Because nowadays you can label it as creamer, even though it's non-dairy, and it's totally fucking fine. But apparently, something that's <laughs> hey, when these things were new, and really, I yeah, mean, it's so <laughs> weird. It's just so common now to see like, I can't believe it's not butter, or like right. literally just margarine on the shelf that's like meant to look like butter, and it's not fucking butter. If yeah, they, but we know generally what butter is, or sorry, margarine is oleo margarine is, although it has yeah. the recipe has changed from you know basically half oils and half you know reductions of leftover meat fat um to fully vegetable oil in a lot of cases with some yeah and then there was there was this other guy which i wonder if was this was in response to you know something like the commonwealth v burns thing but um there was a, a vermont journal uh article that you sent me as well talking kind of about this and one of the things he these will all be in the that, show notes by the way yeah they will all be in the show notes. so that this article the history of oleomargarine um i'm not going to read through the whole thing right now because it's not we'll go to that get to that after but one of the details was talking about how um back in the 1950s this guy remembers that um like his mother used to buy oleomargarine that came with the coloring to make it yellow Mm-hmm. separately so they're like it, it wasn't mixed in so like what what you did was you bought like this weird white oil crap and shortening crisco it's that's yeah, what you, it, yeah yeah it's 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 crisco essentially but like um you know maybe whatever 
whipped in a different way or something. But um, <laughs> but he was like, yeah, my Is mother used to not use the coloring because why bother? But like it, it was provided so that you could you know, make it look like butter. So it's perfectly fine for you to uh, fool your guests with this uh, pretend butter, but certainly right. don't but the, you know, <laughs> sell it. There's no, there's no money exchange happening <laughs> yeah, with your exactly. guests. But it's just super funny that like they would even bother including the yellow. They're like, well, rather than, you know, just keep it white and just be like, it's white, not butter, but trust me, it's delicious. Like they needed to include the yellow so that you could like mix it at home and just like live that fantasy. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Coffee yeah. Rich Inc. versus Commissioner of Public Health and others. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't, this one's a little bit longer because it gets. I mean, into definitely questions do not of... read it all. But like, <laughs> yeah, I the mean, other the one was whole, very I mean, short. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a parallel point, right? Where there's this coffee creamer called Coffee Rich um, that, and when it says the like the. Um, where a wholesome vegetable product of, designed yeah, wholesome- for use in coffee as a substitute for cream closely resembled cream and was an imitation thereof and misbranded within so the terms. So was the point that they didn't write imitation on the package, imitation cream, and well, instead they wrote non-dairy thing used for whiting coffee? Because <laughs> <Like, well, laughs> that's literally like the package said like something along the lines of like vegetable, non-dairy... Uh, uh, I can't. It's like a big. All right. Coffee rich, a liquid vegetable product manufactured and sold by the plaintiff. So basically, they said, hey, you know, just from the summary, I, I should, you know, read this more closely. But ba- the idea I see is basically um, a wholesome vegetable product was designed for use in coffee as a substitute for cream, um, was imitation of, but it wasn't really misbranded because it appeared that the product was distributed only through retail stores and unlike cream was sold in frozen form in the frozen food sections and the cartons in which the product were sold were conspicuously labeled with its brand name and a description of it as a vegetable product containing no milk or milk fat and that advertising yeah. on the counters in the stores stated the product to be frozen non-dairy so that there was no reasonable likelihood of the average consumers mistaking it for cream and application of sec- of chapter 91 sections 187, 189A, 191 to the product so distributed as a mis- branded product was under the Massachusetts Constitution an improper exercise of the police power violative right. of articles 1, oh, 10, okay. 12 of the Declaration of Rights and Part 2, yeah. Chapter 1, Section 1, Article 4. Right. So this is Coffee Rich suing the Commissioner of Public Health for enforcing upon him, uh, you know, or him, uh, whatever his name was, um, uh, the company. Uh, enforcing upon them uh, that they could not sell the product because it was an imitation of cream and was misleading consumers. He contended that it wasn't. Misbranded. 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 The misimitation, therefore, and misbranded, you can see that they're in quotes, Yeah. meaning that they're pulled directly from the statute within the Which terms of so silly. General like, Law, Chapter labeled, 94, right? Section 187. Well, I mean, it's is it... Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a democratic response to a, a, a perceived is it because it was new evil. at the time, right? Right? Yeah, like it's, it's that. But they like, did but that's not is real cream, like almost right. like right. But so that actually, you know what? Let's just dive right in. So Crisco is a brand of shortening produced by the J.M. Smucker Company, popular in the United States. Okay, Smucker's owns it now. Whatever. Introduced in June 1911 by Procter and Gamble. So Procter and Gamble originally introduced it. Procter and Gamble moved away from food products to personal beauty products. Whatever. J.M. Smucker is the company that now owns the trademark to Crisco and makes it out of cottonseed oil. Um, 
Basically, it was the first shortening to be made entirely of vegetable oil as they slowly reduced the animal fat content of margarine and oleomargarine and all that stuff as it, as it went through. Um, so basically, Procter & Gamble was a company that was started in 1837 by William Procter & James Gamble because they were making soap. They were soap makers. Um, Which is as, as we, you know had more and more ability to have large-scale industrial manufacture of these types of products due to our, um, let's see, uh, enhanced ability to harness energy from the burning of fossil fuels and, you know, rapidly industrialization through the, I don't know, railroad systems. At the time. So basically, Procter & Gamble was a smoke uh uh, soap making company in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and they eventually were doing really well because they had access to the all of the rivers and the railroads that popped up in Cincinnati and that sort of area around um, the Great Lakes, and uh, it. Uh, it uh, really gave them the ability to ramp up production and scale, which then led to them getting contracts with the Union Army for the production of soap during the Civil War. For the production of soap. <clears throat> and how did they end up with Crisco? Uh, turns out the machinery to manufacture soap is also very similar to the machinery needed to handle oils. Oh, this is right up your alley, Joe, about machinery, second-time uses, it's cheaper. <laughs> Holy shit, we have another product we can make because of the institutional um, resources we have because of these machines. And it's really, it's a, it's a recycling effort. It's like, hey, yeah. like, butter is expensive, cows are expensive, like, when we kill the cow and eat it for meat, like, there's all this leftover fat, if we mix that with, oh, this cheap stuff to grow, cottonseed oil, and we'll mix that together, add a little salt, and maybe we got, I can't believe it's not butter. Mm-hmm. It's not butter. Not butter. It's not says right on the thing, it's not fucking butter. Tell me, me this is this is misrepresentative of what this product is. Tell me one fucking person will convince will be confused about whether or not this <laughs> is fucking butter. It's not butter. It says it. It says it right there. It I right can't the believe it. It's not butter. Can't believe it's not butter. I bet there's diacetyl in that. I'm sorry. <laughs> is that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's a death tax. Uh, no, diacetyl is a is a chemical that's used in butter flavoring, but um, it's an off flavor in uh, well, it's depending. It's a uh, uh, chemical that can come about from the fermentation process in beer, um, uh-huh. and it's widely considered an off flavor because there's not a whole lot of beers where you want that butter flavor, but there actually are some that you do. Except but, you know, still. except in um, turfs mines, and I'm going to leave that one there. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah anyways yeah it really comes down to this I, this concept of the police power and um that's what it always comes down to yeah and but the the police power not in like the the police as the violent arm of the state but 
police power in the power that the state governments have to make laws in the interest of the public the idea is that it is an it is an appropriate use of the police power when you make laws that are rational or there are particular types of rights or human behaviors where you must make a showing for the law that is greater than just rational, just, you know, more likely to accomplish the stated goals than not. And those are things like speech, uh, search and seizure. Right. Yeah. Like you must make a greater showing, you know, exercise religion, like these types Mm -hmm. of, you know, explicit and to some degree implicit, like mm-hmm. um, your right to privacy uh, that is extended through the penumbras of um, emanations and <laughs> euphemisms from the Bill of Rights. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't really say you have a right to privacy, but it says explicitly that you have a right to be secure from unreasonable searches and seizures. And it also says you have the right to speak and think that how you want. That shit has gone right out the window, buddy. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I mean, I think the, I, the definition of searches and seizures I don't think has necessarily kept pace with modern technology right so the real question here is if you hypothetically have a provisions store in which you have a sign that says i have oleo margarine for sale and then an official inspector comes in opens your refrigerator takes a little spoon scoops out this yellow gunk puts it in his mouth and says, this is margarine. I can't not believe it's butter. not butter. <laughs> and then just switch frames to the I can't believe it's not butter tin. Wow. Uh, it's all black and white too. But His don't wife worry. is just like in the corner like, it's not butter. It's not butter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, but let's, let's say hypothetically that happens. Um, and then somebody complains um, the you know when that somebody being the official inspector complains, I didn't say it was butter. It's oleo margarine that you are exposing for sale this prohibited item, which is oleo margarine with yellow food dye. But it, like it's yeah, it's prohibited because why would you add yellow food dye to oleo margarine other than the reason or it's like the well, idea like, that, is like it, nowadays like, that just seems so stupid because it's like everything has like there's whole like there are scientists whose whole career is to make Cheez-Its look the exactly the right color of orange to be most appealing you know what i mean yeah like that's like a whole science that's a whole thing you know, so it's like for this person to be like, you're you're trying to make this look like butter, even though like it says it on the tin that it's not fucking butter. Like if they I, I would be willing to bet if the first product out there 
was not marketed as oleo margarine, but was marketed as I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> no, you it know? was. I think I that, mean, that we at would least still be in the same as far thing as because that, it says the... on the tin it's not butter, but when you open it up, any reasonable person would think this is butter. Well, well, I mean, the the thing, the problem is, is they were responding to a lot of people probably trying to pass it off as butter. Maybe, yeah. Because it was cheap and they could say, hey, real butter. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, they weren't responding to to nothing, right? Like, they did that because a lot of people, and I mean, they also probably had a little bit of pressure from the cattle ranchers and the dairy farms. But, um, who pays their bills? What? (laughs) I said, who pays their bills? Follow the money. Um, did that inspector get his uh, get his position because he was uh, appointed by some kind of cattle rancher? Anywho, um, the uh, yeah, the the just the the fact that they totally dismiss that entire aspect of it, where they're like, it's immaterial that the sample was obtained without legal authority and by a trespass, if such was the case. That means you know by a trespass and without legal authority, meaning without a warrant. Like that's it. That's an yeah. unreasonable search and seizure. Well, and like, do you need a warrant? Like, I mean, uh, uh, there's there's different things when it comes to like restaurants, right? Like a health inspector gains access. Like, is that a warrant per se, no, or well, is, is it an well, implied warrant? Hel- health inspectors, like they have, like that. Like it's it's the balance. Like that's a rational. They don't have to tell you they're showing up. They just show up. No, but there's a reason for that, right? Like the reason for that is that was by this the exposing, case? For, was it a police ex- officer that took a little dollop of margarine, or was it like an inspector person? Official inspector. Yeah. So. Right, but it was it turned on the because the police inspector or you know I mean you say police doesn't like official inspector like they they sort of blend together with this because like ultimately it's you know somebody empowered with the authority of the the state to keep tabs on behavior in monitoring for violations of general law that is part of the social compact between each individual and the whole and the whole and each individual. Mm-hmm. Um. But is it rational that, you know, they would, you know, or, or like, is it a violation of somebody's right to be secure in their, you know, home effects article, right? Like, but, yeah. you know, then you get into questions of public accommodation. And if you're a place of public accommodation, then there are additional restrictions or laws regulations that apply to you right like that's like how anti-discrimination law works it's not that you like the way that discrimination is outlawed is through this idea that stores and you know employment is a different thing but like stores and things like that are places of public accommodation open generally to the public and if you are going to benefit from the infrastructure that supports that public, a.k.a. roads, sewage, mm-hmm. utilities, all that stuff, then you, you know, commerce, you know, the enforceable contracts, all of that stuff that is, you know, part of the, the state function, mm-hmm. then you must not use that you know classified building or land or you know whatever it is in a way that discriminates against anyone based on these characteristics that we have 
changed and added to and all that stuff over time. Mm -hmm. And obviously enforcement is <laughs> always a question, right? Cause it's, it's, sure. it's fine to say a bunch of stuff if there's no real enforcement mechanism, like who gives a shit what you said. A, and that brings us right back to the hatch act where, you know, I was, I was listening to a, um, a podcast where they were discussing, you know, it seems like such a smarmy and whiny point when you complain about the um, folks participating in the Republican National Convention and whether they are, you know, using their government office to further their own personal political ends or if they are performing, uh, uh, you know, a service to the to the government or who. Yeah. What. And if you just totally, f if you totally flout that because, like... <laughs> You don't give a shit about norms. Um, and there's no one there that can turn around and say, actually, you very much can't do that because we're going to, you know, arrest all of your interns. <laughs> then who gives a shit if the Hatch Act is a thing? It's not a law if it's not enforced, kind of. Yeah. Or well, just, it's uh, even worse, it's enforced arbitrarily. Oh, that's worse, yeah. To maintain power. All right, dude. Um good talk. You wanna you wanna play a few chords while I uh get a seltzer? All right, fool. Um, All right. I'll uh, catch up with you soon. Yes. Let's All right, talk bye. Soon. bye now.